Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. story to be told. Praise the Lord. My message today, the title is Turning Point. Things must change. Hallelujah. Giving honor to God, who's the head of my life and the head of my family's life, to Pastor Preston and the leadership here at PGC. And to everyone that's under the sound of my voice, I don't take this opportunity for granted. It is a real privilege to be able to come and to share a word with you this morning. Amen? Amen. Our text is taken from the second chapter of John. Prior to getting there, let's take a few moments to pray. Father, we thank you for the season that we're in. We recognize who you are in our lives, and we just worship you. We honor you. We give you all praise and glory, O Lord. Father, we're also in a time where we don't know the answers to all the things that's going forth, but our trust is in you. Father, allow myself now to allow you to work through me to share a word that, that's relevant for today, O oh Lord, that it might change lives, it might change the direction in which we're going, O oh Lord. Father, I ask that you come in and take full control and just allow me to be the mouthpiece on this morning in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, praise the Lord. We've already um, talked about, I think, the most um, familiar and probably the most celebrated 11 verses in the Bible when it talks about Jesus turning water into wine. 
It is early in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, Jesus has not done a miracle year to date. He's uh, relatively unknown throughout the world. Only those that are in his community, in his village, know who he is. But all of that is about to change because he's going to a wedding. It's a wedding in a small town called Cana. It is a wedding of a couple whose family is probably poor. I say that because in the midst of the celebration, they run out of wine. Back then, wine was very important. And it was, uh, the, it was the, actually, it was the preferred drink of the day. Back then, weddings and feasts were a big deal. Whenever you had one, generally, not only is the family involved, but the whole village would turn out. In the Middle East and in Africa today, weddings and funerals are still a big deal. They can go on for days and even a week. And the host is expected to make provisions for his guests the whole time that they're there. About three years ago, my daughter Courtney got married. And she had about 200 folks come in to her wedding. About half the relatives that came in came in from Illinois and they came on a chartered bus. And we knew uh, that because so many of them were coming that it would take an extra effort for us to make provisions for them. But we were thinking about how can we bless them for them coming all the way here for a wedding to be with us on that important day. Just about everybody that came, they stayed at the same hotel in Cary. So that was a blessing because we were able to go to the hotel and go into their rooms and leave a welcome package to let them know that we appreciate them being here. We knew they were going to arrive the day before uh, the wedding, so we were going to be tied up during rehearsal. So what we did is uh, ordered pizza and soda so that they could have it at the hotel. The next day, the wedding took place at Prestonwood Country Club. We chose the buffet because there you can choose anything you want to eat and as much as you wanted to eat. The wedding reception ended about four o'clock. We knew most of the family would want to come over to our home, so we knew we had to be prepared for them. We set up tents and chairs and tables. Uh, we had games and we prepared a full meal for them. We had barbecue, dogs, we had burgers and potato salad and pasta. We were going to be ready for them. We even set up for them an ice cream bar. I'm glad we went through all that preparation because as soon as they came into our home at 6 o'clock that evening, they were hungry again, all 100 of them. I think, though, they had a good time at our home, just as good as it was that they had at the wedding. So we just thank God for it. Early the next morning, we got up and we went to the hotel. We wanted to see them off as they were all loading the bus on their way back home. We wanted to also give them another gift pack, again, thanking them for their trip in. We gave them uh, snack bars. We gave them chips, sandwiches, fruit, water, and candy that was left over from the wedding. And we wanted to pray with them so that they would have a safe travel back home. As they departed on their way and we were on our way back home, we started getting tweets from them. And all of them were about how warm the hospitality that they just experienced at our home. 
It made all the hard work that we had done, it made it worth it. We knew that everybody in our family that came to Courtney's and Chris' wedding came at a sacrifice. The money they had to spend on travel, hotel, clothes, and even some took time off from work. None of the folks in my family or Rose family is wealthy, so we knew making this trip would cost them something. They didn't have to come, but they came, and we wanted to make sure that they knew that we appreciated them being in our presence. And that's why we went way out of our way to make them feel appreciated and welcome. But I couldn't imagine having to do this at that level of hospitality a whole week, or to feed them the way we fed them for a whole week. But back in the days of Jesus, weddings usually last seven days. And the family that would be there, uh, not only would they be there, but the village most times would be there because weddings were a big deal and the expectation was that you're gonna have food and wine flowing freely during that duration. To run out of either food or wine was considered thoughtless or it could ruin a family's reputation. It would be a scar on them not being able to provide. It would be an indicator that maybe the grooms can't even provide for his spouse. But it would be a stain on their lives. Wine was the preferred drink because back then it was safer than water. At that time, people didn't have indoor plumbing. They either went to the well or they went to, um, uh, to the stream and drew out water. There was no filtration system like we have today. Water was not as clean. So it was safer to drink wine back then. In the Gospel of John, early in the ministry of Jesus, his mother calls him to join her at a wedding. So they went into the wedding along with some of his disciples. We don't know very much about the couple that was getting married, or even if they were relatives of Mary. But Mary seemed to notice that they had run out of wine. Mary took the initiative to address the problem. She pulled her son over to the side and says, we've got a problem. The host has run out of wine. I don't know why Mary had to get involved. I don't know if it was her relative. I don't know if she was one of the hosts or was she just a concerned friend. Remember the stigma that would follow you running out of wine. Someone covering your back. Running out of wine was probably the most embarrassing thing that could ever happen at a wedding back then. I mean, it was better to run out of food than it was to run out of water or wine. Mary shares that information with Jesus, and it appears in the scriptures that Jesus is a little miffed at her coming to him, telling him about the problem. It was uh, as if um, he was a little out of his element. And after Mary shared the facts with Jesus, she turned and she looked at her servants and says, listen, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. It almost seems as if Jesus just wasn't ready to start doing miracles. It was as if he was not ready to show the people who he really was. But apparently Mary knew that he could do miracles. And as I read the text, I, I got to thinking about Mary. 
And I started thinking about her a little bit different. I hadn't considered before, but we know Mary was the mother of Jesus who was told by an angel that she would supernaturally become pregnant and carry the Son of God. Most of us leave Mary at the manger after she gives birth to Jesus. As if we think that's Mary's only job and she has already fulfilled her appointment. But she was called to be the mother of Jesus. Mothers are most important, especially in our young lives. Mothers are there to help teach the children. They're there to be with us when we're sick, to help us to get dressed, to sing to us. They're there to put us to bed, cook for us, and from time to time to discipline us. And mothers don't stop being moms just because we are getting older. Jesus is now 30 years old. He's a man that could enter into the office of a priest according to Numbers 4 and 3. So he's not a little boy anymore, but he's still Mary's son. No doubt he had been raised to be obedient to her. But reading this text, I'm beginning to wonder if Mary wasn't hearing from God the Father concerning the timing of Jesus to begin his earthly ministry. Like I said, I hadn't given it much thought until I started putting this sermon together, but I wonder if God was using Mary to flip the switch in Jesus so that he could officially launch his ministry on that particular day and on that particular occasion, a wedding where Jesus would perform his first miracle by turning water into wine. So Jesus is now faced with a dilemma. Should he stand by the family and let them be humiliated, or should he perform a miracle which not only will bless everybody, but it will cause him to come from underneath the cover into light? Was Jesus ready for this? Was he ready to show everybody that he has the ability to do the supernatural? I'll tell you something about Jesus. He's always there and he's always there to be with us, to help us, to support us, to carry us along. So Jesus turned to the servants and he says, you know, there are six pots over there, six stone pots, go fill them with water. And scripture says that they filled them with water to the brim. Now let me just share something about those pots. Those pots were used for purification. It was a Jewish tradition for them to use the water out of it to wash their hands before they ate and to wash after they ate and to also wash the utensils. We understand those pots also could hold anywhere from 20 to 30 gallons of water. So the men filled the pots And as scripture says, they filled it to the brim and then they took a sample to the head waiter for him to taste, just as Jesus had instructed. When the head waiter tasted the water, it was miraculously already wine. If that weren't enough of a miracle, it was not that it was any kind of wine, but it was highly rated. You know, you can get wine at different levels. You can get moderate wine. You can get a, get a, a general wine. But he was into fine wines, and that's what he tasted. 
The best wine is taken from certain grapes grown in specific vineyards around the world. They're, they're uh, put into the right barrels at the right temperature with the right light. As a matter of fact, it takes years to even learn the process of making good wine. And some people will pay thousands of dollars just for a glass of fine wine. The wine the waiter drew out of the container was on that level. It was so good that he marveled at the quality of the wine and he, he commented on the amount of the wine those jars were holding. It was way over the top. There was so much wine. It says that they can contain anywhere from 120 to 100 gallons of fine wine. The head waiter even made a comment to the bridegroom. He asked him, why did you hold back the best for last? He says, normally at a function like this, the host would always bring out the best up front and then to serve the best last. But he was like us. We oftentimes want to make sure we put our best foot forward. You know, last and first impressions are always the last impressions. So we must ask ourselves this question. Why was this the first miracle of Jesus? I think symbolically Jesus was showing us something more. These ceremonial stone jars that was filled with water used for washing your hands after you ate and using for uh, washing the utensil. The water now is spoiled and dirty, and I know I wouldn't, it would be unthinkable for me to drink from those jars, and certainly I wouldn't want to use the water out of those jars to produce wine. Yet Jesus chose those murky, filthy stone pots filled with germs for this miracle. Jesus used his divine power. He turned water from an unclean vessel into the finest wine around. Jesus used this miracle of turning water into wine to send us what I think is a profound message, that he has the power to change the very nature of things. He can transform not just from a state of liquids, but a state of our lives. Isaiah 118 says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That's why I think Jesus says, Come and let me transform you. Let me clean you up. And once I clean you up, you'll be a treasured vessel that I can use. Well, it may, not, it may have been that God intentionally chose a wedding to unveil the Son of God who was sent here to die for us because of our sin and to redeem us back to himself. See, there was another wedding a couple centuries earlier, the first wedding, when God brought Adam and Eve together. He wanted them to bring glory to him, be fruitful, multiply, and take dominion over the earth and put the enemy of both God and man underfoot. Instead, they had to leave that perfect place because they didn't do what they were supposed to do. The shame of this couple having to walk with their head hung down because they were disobedient to God. But the couple at the wedding, they would not have to hold their heads down in shame. They did not have to be humiliated in front of the whole village because the Son of God showed up. 
Jesus took control of what could have been an embarrassing situation and turned it into a time of rejoicing and prosperity. Jesus turned a situation of lack into a situation of abundance. Jesus turned a situation where the people had more than they could ever drink. At this occasion of a wedding of joining two people together in holy matrimony, Jesus decided to let the glory of God shine. God still wants his glory to shine in our families. God still wants there to be laughter and plenty of food for, and provisions for us. During this pandemic that we're experiencing, we haven't been able to do the things that we would like to do. We haven't been able to meet with the folks that we would like to meet with. But have we had lack? I don't think so because God has filled that lack for us. It's God's glory that's shining through. God has showed up when we were lonely. He has showed up when we didn't have an answer to this pandemic or what was going on and why it was going on. But he has always been there. God has put praise in our heart even when we couldn't gather together in worship. God has been pouring out his wine on us even in the middle of a pandemic. God has even provided us worship virtually when we could not meet together. That is the kind of God he is. And Jesus wants to, us, he wants to introduce us to his Father. I can't imagine going through the rest of 2020 and on into 2021 and not have a relationship with the Lord. What about you? John the Apostle tells us that this miracle is the first of several signs in which Jesus was going to use so that you can believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that believing on him and his life, you have, pur you have purpose in his name. You find that in John 20, 31. And one day all believers will be attending a wedding, a ceremony, a feast, and there will be no lack. There will be an overabundance of flowing wine. I'm waiting for that day. Oh, what a day that will be. Believers and we, the church of God, we will be there. We will be the cherished bride, and Jesus will be the bridegroom. You can read about all of this in Revelation, the 19th chapter, but my brothers and sisters, he is coming back one day, just like he said he would. He's coming back with all power in his hand. But until then, hold on. God, we need to trust in him. In the good times, in the bad times. In the times of lean and in the times of plenty. What he did for that couple back in Canaan, he is still showing up and doing today. No matter what you're going through, look to God. God can bring you through it. The doors of the church are open. Reading from the scriptures, it tells me that we need to introduce the Lord Jesus to all. He is the answer. And he's the answer for each and every one of us. Even if we're going through this pandemic like we're going through, where lives are being weighed in the balance. God wants us to make a choice today. He wants us to invite, he wants to invite you to the celebration that's going to take the place real soon. He'll change water into wine for you. 
He'll take something out of nothing and make something out of it. All he's looking for is a vessel that he can use. Are you willing to be that vessel? This is the time that you and I need to make that declaration. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word today, oh Lord. Father, help us to understand it clearly. Help us to meditate on each and every word, oh Lord. And Father, help us to grow thereby in Jesus' name. Amen. We offer Christ to you. Thank you again.